Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad you joined us for today's podcast. We're going through a special series called Simply by Grace, the book. When I wrote Simply by Grace, I never dreamed it would have such an impact and be translated into a dozen languages with more in the works. It's published in English by Kriegel, and you can get the book at our website, gracelife.org, or on Amazon, or wherever you buy your paperback or digital books. Like a lot of folks, you might want to buy a bunch and hand them out to people who need a better understanding of God's amazing grace. Grace Life ministers around the United States and the world sharing the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Our ministry is supported by folks just like you, and that too can be done on our website, gracelife.org. What we'll do now is read a chapter of Simply by Grace and follow that with an interview on the topic of that chapter with someone who's going to give further insights about that aspect of God's grace. So, if you're ready, we'll dive into the book. Chapter 2. The God of All Grace We cannot understand grace until we understand where it comes from and how it has unfolded in God's purpose for the world. Grace is a persistent theme in biblical history. The grace we enjoy today is the same grace God has always offered to the world. To understand it fully, we must understand where it comes from, or rather, who it comes from. In short, It comes from God's infinite love for us. The Bible describes the character of God in many ways. Perhaps the chief characteristic God shares with us is His love. God is love, the scriptures say, 1 John 4.8. The primary way that God communicates His love is through His grace, which meets our every need. The Apostle Peter called Him the God of all grace, 1 Peter 5.10. It is a fundamental characteristic of God that because He loves us so, He does not deal with us as we deserve, but gives us freely what we do not deserve. The gracious character of God is demonstrated in His treatment of mankind throughout history. A Story of Grace It was an act of grace to create human beings in the first place. God created and designed us to rule the earth, according to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and as we enjoy life, which is another way of saying that he made us to enjoy him because he is life. But when the first man, Adam, listened to Satan and disobeyed God, he experienced death and brought death to us all as his descendants. Death must be understood not simply as the cessation of physical life, but as separation from God. Adam did not die physically the moment he disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit. He died spiritually because he became separated from God. The story of the Bible is a story of God restoring the original position and the life lost by mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked and ashamed and hid from God. God was gracious to cover them with animal skins and hide their nakedness. Then God promised that he would send a person, an offspring of the woman, who would destroy Satan and his power of death, Genesis 3.15. 
The promise of a deliverer was not conditioned on anyone deserving it. Rather, the promise was made for those who did not deserve it in any way. All that could be done was to believe God's promise and wait for it to be fulfilled. God's grace got more specific when he chose one man, Abraham, to begin a special people who would become the instruments of his grace. God promised to Abraham a land, a special descendant, and a blessing for the whole world. Why Abraham? No reason is given, but after the promise was made to him, Abraham was faithful and obedient, though not perfect. Still, the promise is reiterated to him and to his son, Isaac, as well as to his grandson, Jacob. God's promise is guaranteed to all three generations with the words, I will give. God did not say, I will give if, making the fulfillment of the promise something to be earned or deserved. Instead, the fulfillment depended on God and his gracious character. It was a free gift to those who did not deserve it. Both Isaac and Jacob showed their imperfections in episodes of deceit. But God's promise was not jeopardized. It depended on his faithfulness to his own word and not on the faithfulness of flawed human beings. So, through Abraham, God began a special people of promise, the Jews. Why the Jews? Not because they deserved God's blessing. Their history is one of consistent and persistent disobedience. We would agree with the person who quipped, How odd of God to choose the Jews! We can only surmise that God chose the Jews simply because He sovereignly chose them. God's grace persisted throughout biblical history. His promise became more specific to King David when he promised that a descendant of David would sit on the throne of the kingdom forever. The descendant first promised in Genesis is revealed to be a king like David and from David. Why David? Again, not because he was worthy of God's grace. David's life was marred by some major sins. But God's grace is always undeserved and therefore its realization rests in God's faithfulness to his own character and word, not on human performance. Jesus, full of grace. The fulfillment of God's promised deliverance came in Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, who will become the king of the Jews. Jesus was God himself embodied in a human being miraculously born to a woman. God stepped out of eternity and into human history so that his promise would be fulfilled. Jesus was described as full of grace and truth, John 1.14, meaning that he was the ultimate expression of God's undeserved favor toward us and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise toward us. Jesus came to earth not because we deserved him. On the contrary, he came into a dark world with evil, a world that rejected him, even his own people, the Jews, rejected him. When he walked the earth, people saw in Jesus the embodiment of God's grace. As he proclaimed the truth about the kingdom of God, he also taught about God's loving compassion. His actions displayed the balance of grace and truth as he rebuked those who opposed God's truth but healed and helped those with needs. Jesus' actions and attitudes were characterized by love, patience, kindness, and gentleness toward others. The grace and truth of Jesus Christ reached its climax when he voluntarily gave his life on the cross, then rose from the dead to meet our need as sinners, 
all according to the Scripture's expectation. Jesus Christ conveys God's loving grace to a needy world of undeserving sinners. That is why the Bible says that in Jesus, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Titus 2.11 The God-man who embodied God's grace is our deliverer from sin and death, who restores us to our relationship to God and His purpose for us. Jesus gives life to us sinners because He is life, God's life. But why sinners? Consistent with the character of God throughout all His dealings with the world, Jesus does not give life to those who deserve it, because none do. Instead, He gives life to those who do not deserve it, those who desperately need it. Grace Today When we talk about how God saves people from sin, there is no other explanation except simply by grace. The best of us is not perfect, and only perfection could earn God's life, which is eternal life, and the forgiveness of our sins. God does not trade his salvation for any commitment or promise we make because he knows our best commitment will eventually fall short. Salvation must depend on God, his character, his promise, his work, and his commitment to us. The history of mankind in the story of the Bible is one in which a loving God gives salvation as a free gift. It has always been that way and always will be. It is this way today and for you. Yes, it sounds too good to be true, but unless you believe this, you will never be grounded in grace and enjoy God's life. Now you might be thinking, isn't God also a just God? Doesn't his justice demand that our sinfulness be punished? The answer to that lies in what Jesus Christ did to satisfy God's justice for us. Review questions. 1. How would you relate God's love with His grace? His justice with His grace? 2. Explain how the history of the Jews testifies to God's grace. 3. Why is Jesus described as full of grace and truth? 4. What parallels do you see between God's gracious dealings throughout biblical history and your own eternal salvation? Well, the subject of this chapter of Simply by Grace was the God of all grace, which is a term we find in the New Testament. And I thought that a good person to talk to about this is Garth Oliver of TrueQuest Outfitters, who has uh, done a lot of thinking and writing about God uh, and his grace and just his whole program in the Bible. And the whole Bible story, as you know, is, is full of uh, the theme of grace. And I think he might have some ins insights for us. Now, I've known Garth for a good while. I think about 35 years goes all the way back to Dallas Theological Seminary. We work together yep. in church ministry. Maybe more importantly, we hunt and fish together and enjoy the outdoors together. Uh, Absolutely. So it's uh, it's been a good friendship. And I also would mention that uh, Garth is a board member of Grace Life. And um, so I'm able to keep up with the progress of his ministry. He has a podcast called uh, Making Sense of Life, 
and uh, 87 episodes starting from Genesis going through where you at now. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Isaiah. in Isaiah 8 and 9 right now. So yeah. we, went through, we went through the historical books up through King's Chronicles, and then we're going back and looking at the prophets that were ministering during the period of the divided kingdom. So kind of trying to put it all together. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Garth's podcast is full of information, and so you'll want to check into his podcast, Making Sense of Life. Um, and are you, are you not also working on a book with that material? Uh, yeah, the book was what I started out doing, um, and, and I'll get back to it, but I just realized that the book was going to take a lot longer, and I wanted to make the information more accessible uh, to, to people that I was talking to, to my kids, uh, friends, and uh, so I realized the podcast was a much more accessible, and so I can get it out as it becomes, a, you know, as I, as I, as I do it a, a few chapters or a book at a time or whatever, whatever the scope is. Well, uh, give us an idea uh, in, in brief what uh, Making Sense of Life podcast is about Okay, before we try to inject our subject here. Okay. So um, I, I started out in 2005, kind of realized that the faith that I had had some loose ends. My understanding of the faith had some uh, not as comprehensive and cohesive as I believe God is. So as I began to try to put that together, I realized that uh, what we need to do is to understand the Bible as a story. And uh, so then I began to, as I began to see how that all fit together from the years of training, then I began to try to communicate that. And that's what the book was. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I can make it more accessible. And so as I was starting to uh, try to translate it over. I figured that this podcast, I'd be able to cover the Bible in, I don't know, 15, 18 episodes and try to just kind of do a big picture. And what I discovered as I was going through that is that if you don't get into the details, you really lose the impact. Uh, you know, you could talk about, well, there was this God never rained and God said, I'm going to send a flood and wipe out the world. And so he builds a boat. And if you don't get into the details of that story, you really miss out on the impact of it. And so I'm trying to find that balance between um, giving enough detail to appreciate what the significant developments in the story are and how they move the story forward and giving a high enough view that we don't have to spend, I mean, how long could you spend, you know, if you went verse by verse through the whole Bible, it, 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 we, we'd never get to the end of it. So trying to find that balance there. Yeah. And uh, I have found that it is almost like reading through the Bible with the commentary. So it's a, it's a very good review of all of the, what the Bible says. But I want to focus in on this, uh, our topic, which is the God of all grace. And he, he's been God since the beginning, Genesis. And uh, how do you see grace woven into what you call the story uh, of the Bible? Um, man, I mean, it, it is, uh, it, it's at the heart of, of all of it. I mean, um, I, I th as I've thought about that, um, to, to go back and let's let's just start at the very beginning, and so when you have God start in Genesis one, He uh, we're, we're told in Genesis one two that the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and then God begins to act, and on the first three days of creation, He takes that which is formless and He orders it. He separate He He creates light and then separates it from darkness, separates the waters above above from the waters below separates the waters from the land. And so he's bringing order to that, which is formless. And then on the second day, then he begins to fill. He fills the heavens. He fills the air. He fills the water. He fills the land. 
And so he's bringing order to that which is formless, and he's filling that which is void. And then on the sixth day, he decides to create man in his image. And I think we've overthought that. Simply that means that um, he created us to, when you look at us, you should think of him, right? We're his representatives. That's what he created us to be. And he created us to rule over this creation. And then as you get into Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we find that he creates us male and female. And as that gets unpacked, uh, you discover that he creates the female to continue the work that he started of filling with life, and he creates the male to continue to bring order. And so he started a work, and then he invites us into that. And as somebody who's creative, um, to, to think about me starting, uh, I like to woodwork, right? And so to think about me starting a project and then inviting somebody else into that to begin to take what I've started and to continue with it is, is a tremendous expression of grace that God would allow us to even be a part of. And, and then through that, to come to know him, right, in a way where we are a part of what he's doing. And so, I mean, from the very beginning, um, the, the, the grace of God in inviting us into what he's doing there um, is, is evident. And, and then, of course, to unpack that just a little bit further, um, when you look at Genesis one twenty six, God said, let us make man in our image, right? And so mm-hmm. we get kind of sidetracked there about, well, is this, is this us, the Trinity? Is it the majestic plural? All these different things. And I think what we miss there is that God is, what he's doing is giving us a glimpse into his mind and his intention, right? So he intended to create us as those who would represent him and as those who would rule over creation. Now, the first time then we get to Genesis 3, and there is a threat to the domain that Adam was supposed to rule over, he doesn't rule. He doesn't represent God. He aligns with Satan and chooses to live independent of God. And so at that point, you know, we, we talk about the concept of paradise lost. And, and I grew up with this notion for a long time that God had created this perfect situation, and then we went and messed it up. And so God's kind of, okay, well, I'll, I'm going to come straighten this out, and I'll, I'll forgive you, and we'll all be good, and I'll bring you to heaven. Just try not to mess up anything else while I'm until I do that, right? And, um, but if that's what happened, then God set out to do something that he didn't accomplish. And we can say, well, man failed. Okay, but this was still God's plan, right? It was his plan for man to represent him. And my contention is, is that we've never done that. And the simplest proof of that is because that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So he is what God created us to be, right? So he comes and represents God, and we know that he's going to rule. But when we watch this play out through the New Testament, right, we find out that not only did he reconcile us to God, but he is in the process of transforming us into his likeness. And so if I look like Christ, and Christ is the image of the invisible God, then what's happening is I'm being conformed to what God created me to be, one who bears his image. Mm-hmm. John, uh, 1 John 3 says that we are children of God. That's, I think, the whole point of children 
is those who take after the father who look like him, right? So you're either a child of God or you're, uh, he tells the Pharisees, you're of their father, the devil, right? You take after him. Um, and so as we take after him, he says in first John three, we don't know what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And so at that point, the transformation will be made perfect. And then in that state, during his millennial reign, we get to be what he created us to be, right? And to do what he created us to do is to rule as his representative. And that, all of that only happens because of the grace of God. Yeah. Uh, I love the illustration about woodworking because it, it's a fascinating idea that God, by his grace, allows us to participate in his creation. In fact, I think the first grace that we see is just the fact that he decided to create us, which he didn't have to do at all. Um, but then that grace follows us all the way until we become right. like Christ in his kingdom. Um, so, so you see grace in the Old Testament, I'm sure. A lot of people look at the Old Testament as a book of law and um, judgment, uh, a lot of negativity associated with the Old Testament, curses <laughs> and things. Um, but give us an idea of where you see the God of all grace in the Old Testament. Okay, yeah, and I think just to, to, to speak to that a little bit, Charlie, this is a part of why I found the story to be so important, because what happens is we've been convinced that these stories are fragments, historical fragments that have been kind of cobbled together, and that they don't tell a story, and so we chop them up and treat them like individual little stories, and so it's easier to motivate people if we scare them to death. Right. And so we choose the stories where God's angry. Right. And then that's how we, you know, we're going to need Sunday school workers. And so you don't want God angry like he was, you know. And and so we, we use those kinds of stories because they accomplish how we would do it. But when you start to put the story together, one of the ones that was really surprising after you get past what I was just talking about, God's original creation, is after the flood. And uh, when when we get. Uh, Noah and his sons are on the ark. Flood comes, everybody's wiped out, and then Noah comes off the ark. Uh, and Genesis 8, 20 says, then Noah built an altar to Yahweh. And uh, one of the things I've started doing is, uh, as you read the Old Testament, uh, Yahweh's name is replaced with all caps LORD in my translation. Mm -hmm. So I want to recognize the difference between Yahweh, when it says Yahweh, and when it's Master Adonai. Yeah, And so that's what I'm doing there for your listeners that wonder why I'm doing that. I'm just trying to read what I think is in the original text. Okay. And so this is, then Noah built an altar to Yahweh and took every one of the clean animal and every uh, clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Yahweh smelled the soothing aroma. And here again, Yahweh says to himself, he's talking to himself. We get to see his thought again. I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I've done. We don't talk about much about the Noahic covenant, but the Noahic covenant is the determination on God's part, I think, to deal with man in mercy and grace. If he doesn't, man's never going to survive. We're just going to get wiped out in, in, play, or in, in judgment after judgment after judgment, and God says, I'm never going to wipe him out again. Right. This is who he is, and I'm going to have to deal with him in mercy. Yeah, And so for me, that was a big one that I hadn't seen before um, in terms of, of that determination. Here's how God's, this is, this is a new development in the story that moves the story forward. And then, of course, 
you know, it's not that long till you get to Babel again. And uh, so with Babel, uh, man's determined to live independent of God. And so God divides him up into nations to frustrate his efforts to live united in, in, in opposition. And in, pl- in place of the nations that he creates, he selects Abraham. Now, Abraham is a pagan. And when you look at some of the things that happen with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, the 12 sons, some of the stuff that they pull off. Yeah. These, <laughs> these guys Pretty are not, stuff. yeah, these guys are not good guys. And, you know, they're selling their brother. They're talking about killing their brother. And, and then they sell him off into slavery. And then, you know, there's the whole, you know, they're just story after story. And this is one of the things I have to resist is getting into the uh, too much detail about getting too buried down in a story. But, I mean, God's mercy is that he's going to, and through this, by the way, it's not just that he's blessing Abraham, but through Abraham, all the nations, all these Gentile nations who have rejected God are ultimately going to be blessed. So in spite of the fact that there's been, I don't know, I think there's probably close to 2,000 years of rejection, God doesn't give up on mankind. And so the blessing then is going to come through Abraham. It seems like a lot of these stories that are just incredibly uh, terrible, immoral, um, or full of sin, um, in Genesis and, and Judges and so forth, uh, show the need for man of God's grace. But just the fact that they're included in the Bible is a, is a way of emphasizing God's grace that he's still working with those people. Yeah, this is why the Noahic covenant is so important. Otherwise, if I was God, it'd been over, you know, before we get out of Genesis. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think I think there's an inherent uh sense with people whenever they see a rainbow of peace. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> even if they don't know the Bible story, somehow, right. you know, pictures of rainbows appear all the time and people seem to draw some comfort from that. And it's always it should be always a reminder to us that um God is a God of grace. Right. Uh, so he, so he kept he was faithful to Israel throughout the Old Testament. And preserve well, yeah. them in spite of all of their sin. Well, and that's, I think that's the other thing, Charlie, is because you don't look at the story, you don't follow it. So the Exodus occurred, I think, probably in 1446 BC. And so you've got the 40 years in the wilderness and all the complaining. You got the golden calf. And, and by the way, uh, the golden calf there, you know, it's after that that Yahweh says, I'm not going with you. I'll kill you. And Moses says, If you don't go with us, then I'm not, I don't want to go. And, and Yahweh, in his grace, says, Okay, I'll go with you. And, and Moses says, I want to know who you are, right? And so this is where Yahweh responds in Exodus 34, 6. Then Yahweh passed by in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, right? So he forgives for thousands, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the th- grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So the iniquity is visited for three or four generations, the blessing for thousands of generations, right? Mm-hmm. But the essence of who God is here is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. That doesn't mean that he won't punish, but his primary expression, and as you go back to one of the questions is, as we start talking about this, is people ask, well, why did he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Why did he let this happen? Right? And, and as we've talked about this, one of the things that becomes clear is if he hadn't let this happen, you would have never known God in this way. 
You yeah. would have never known his mercy and his grace and his compassion and he's slow to anger and long suffering. And you would have missed a big part of him. Yeah. And his, his uh, pronouncement that he's, uh, you know, long suffering and patient and full of mercy uh, comes in the context of his, of the law giving. Um, mm. So it comes in the context of God's loving grace, but uh, the law itself contained a lot of grace is what I found as I study um, more and more. Uh, there's a lot of provisions for grace right. under the law. Right. Uh, in fact, everything that was not intentional, right? It was that willful defiance that, that earned you. Uh, and of course, the, the whole Old Testament, um, it really deals with the temporal realm. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, so that's what earns you the physical death. Uh, that, this gets into, uh, it's a little bit of a sidetrack. Maybe we'll get back to it in a little bit. But God revealed himself that way to Moses in the wilderness, and then they enter the land in probably 1406. And then you get into the next period, the period of the judges, right? And so you've got these judges, like you mentioned a while ago, that are increasingly roguish, right? Mm -hmm. Every cycle that you go through, that you get to a, um, the the guy that's the hero is, is, I mean, you get to Samson, right? Who's Mm -hmm. got all kinds of sexual issues and pride and all of this stuff, and yet God uses him as the judge. Um, and then you've got at the back end of Judges, you've got two stories of Levites, right? So these were so you got your judges are are are, are in decay. The office of judges the, in in Deuteronomy there were four offices: uh, prophets, priests, kings, and judges. And so you've got the judges, and now the priest, and you've got one priest that's selling himself out to be personal priest. That's mm-hmm. You know, serving idols, and you got another priest that's got a concubine that's not living in a priest city, right? And then she gets cut up, and it, it and so you, and so the conclusion of that, by the way, is that all of this is happening because there is no king in the land, and every man's doing what's right in his own eyes, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got all that going on, and then you move into Samuel, and it's during Samuel under Eli's reign, or uh, reign is not the right term, the, his his uh, yes. his judgeship. That Israel, the Philistines are oppressing them just like God's city would. They would in Deuteronomy when they were disobedient. And so um, the Philistines are there in battle, and they think it's a good idea to take the ark into battle. That's going to be their good luck charm, and they end up losing it to the Philistines. The Philistines, in a few months, figure out that this maybe is not a great idea to possess it, and they send it back. And it goes from Beth Shemesh, and there they sacrifice the oxen and the you know, use the cart for the, for the wood and, and celebrate. But then they decide to look inside the ark and God kills a bunch of them. So they go, you know what, maybe we shouldn't keep this here. And so they send it up the road to Kiriath Jairim. And then uh, one of the things, again, as I work through the story, you go, okay, that's happened in first Samuel four and five. And it stays in this guy's front yard. I picture, you know, a, a, a redneck hillbilly somewhere here and it's sitting out in his front yard and God's blessing him. And when you do the math, it's set there for 127 years. Wow. Right? Well, okay. Yeah, so it's set there for 127 years. Well, what's going on at the tabernacle during all this time? Hmm. How, how important is the worship of the tabernacle? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, there, there's, I mean, there's, for 127 years, there's no Day of Atonement, right? Yeah. There's no, I mean, it's, it's just clearly not important to them, and yet God doesn't wipe them out at that point, yeah. right? And he's blessing this guy. And then David brings the ark back in. And David's reign is really the only time that the whole nation demonstrated any measure of faithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant and to their responsibilities toward God. 
Uh for God, right? And then he's succeeded by Solomon. Solomon starts out pretty well, but then he loves women more than he loves God. And everything turns sideways there. And then there's, with his son, divided kingdom, and there is never again a king who rules over all of the United Kingdom. You proceed through the kings and we see a a lot of wickedness. And yet, you know, God is faithful, but his faithfulness has a, a limit in, in that he does judge Israel with the, you know, the conquest by uh, first the Assyrians and then Babylon and finally right. the fall of Babylon. Uh, so some might ask, where's God's grace there in that intertestamental period when there, there is no official nation of Israel or they're in captivity? Well, so, so that's, I, I'd say there's, um, the fact that, um, let me try to condense that a second. My mind's getting way ahead of me. One of the things that, as you go back, one of the critical, so we've, we've talked about the Noahic covenant. We've talked about the Abrahamic covenant. We've mentioned that implicitly. Um, and then you've got the Davidic covenant, in which Yahweh promises David that one of his descendants will sit on his throne and will rule over a firmly established kingdom in the land, um, and the seed will rule forever. Right. Uh-huh. And so, and it's because of that, that even during this period, I, I was thinking about this as, as I was anticipating uh, talking to you in second Kings eight 16, you've got a King Uzziah. Um, and, uh, he reigned from, um, I'm sorry, Jehoram son of Jehoshaphat became King of, uh, Judah in eight forty eight eight forty through eight forty one, thirty two 32 years old, walked in the way of the Kings of Israel. In other words, Kings of Israel, just for to kind of refresh everybody's memory, um, they were never faithful. There were no good kings of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Right. They always worshipped the calves that were set up at Bethel and Dan, and there that was the best, right? That they did. Um, and so here he is following after them. And so it says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab became his wife. So he married into Ahab and Jezebel and all of their. Uh, idolatry and all of that. And he did evil in the sight of Yahweh. But verse 19, this is Second Kings 8. However, Yahweh was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, mm. since he had promised to give him a lamp to him through his son always. Mm-hmm. And so there is this continuation of the promise. The promise. God keeps his promise. And God keeps his promise, right? And so there's going to be uh, one of David's seed who is going to sit on the throne and is going to reign, right, um, over a firmly established kingdom in the land of Israel. And so that promise still holds today. And the fact, and this is a part of the value of going through the story, is because you see God keeping the promises, both the good promises and the promises that say, if you don't fulfill your responsibilities, I'm going to discipline you with, you know, the lack of rain. I'm going to discipline you with subjugation to other nations. I'm going to scatter you among the nations. And that's what he's doing. And so they're scattering among the nations is a part of his promises. Yeah. So, so discipline is not incongruent with the idea of grace. And in fact, it's, uh, it all has a, a purpose to direct the nation of Israel towards God's promise. And now in this intertestamental period, we, we, we have, uh, you know, apocryphal books, um, which are probably good history, but we don't take them as scripture. Right. They tell us a lot about how Israel persevered through a lot of persecution but I, I, you know out of this 400 dark years suddenly uh there's a star in the sky and an announcement of the birth of a king and um 
and this is anticipated, of course, in the Old Testament. Uh, But how do you see Jesus and his coming as part of this story? Uh, You know, he called himself in John 1, uh, full of grace and truth, was John called him full of grace and truth. So, I mean, this is not just another piece of the story. It's a real uh, uh, dramatic or uh, epic, I don't know what, what call I, would, it. I a, would say it's, crucial or critical. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the, it's the, it's the crux, the pivot on which the story turns. Okay. And so, so how exactly do you see that fitting into the story of grace? Um, wow. Uh, that's, that, that is really a, I mean, there, there's, there's a, a number of different ways. So in a, in a, in one sense, it is the, um, he is the embodiment of God. He has revealed God to us. And so uh, as God is grace, then he is the embodiment of that grace. And you certainly see that in the way that um, he deals with people. And, he, you know, Isaiah talks about that uh, a smoldering, uh, what is it, a smoldering ember you won't put out and a bruised reed you won't crush, right? So he's he's gentle and he's kind, and he's but he's also truth and he's what's real. And, and so... Um, he is that, that combination of, of those things. Uh, and, and we got to see that in the flesh. Doesn't, doesn't Hebrews really make a point in chapter one of, you know, that God revealed himself in many ways through the prophets in the past, but now in these latter days, he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ, which indicates a greater accountability to him, a greater knowledge of his truth, uh, mm-hmm. also seems to indicate a greater uh, responsibility to respond to it correctly and um, to be accountable to him. So Hebrews, to me, it plays on the Old Testament and, and kind of emphasizes uh, who Jesus is today, and you, we better listen to him. Right. Uh, right. Well, and, and I think that, I mean, I've been spending some time, uh, Hebrews 1 and 2 really has caught my attention because it talks about man being made a little lower than the angels and that um, the, we, the earth was subjected to man, but we do not yet see the earth subjected to him. So we don't see that purpose fulfilled. And so Jesus is the, the, the embodiment of that, but there's an indication and I'm, 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 I'm still processing this, but, uh, it was through him that he came to, let me, let me make sure that, uh, let me see if I can get that up right here, right quick. I uh, love to preach Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, because it starts with the words, but now, after talking about a history of sin and the sinfulness of mankind, it's like verse 21, chapter 3 of Romans, uh, turns the page of history, turns all of history on this hinge of, but now, God has revealed his righteousness um, through Jesus Christ. That's one of my favorite uh, contrast in the Bible, probably one right. of the most important too. So what I was looking for here, and I, and I agree with you, I think there is this, this, this uh, huge tr- contrast that he brings about, but he's talking about Jesus. Uh, but we do see him who was made a little for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Na- okay. I, yeah, I'm, I, I was, I got, I started earlier than I wanted to, but I'll just go ahead and since I'm there, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is what I wanted to get to for. It was fitting for him for whom all are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. 
right? So his purpose is not just his own glorification, but he invites us into share in his glory as mm-hmm. we suffer and endure with him, right? To perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And so Jesus entered into the sufferings so that we might share in his glory and, and share with him and all that he's about. Yeah. And it's, and <laughs> it says it's by the grace of God, he, right. that he was, that he died. So Jesus in other words, accomplishes and fulfills everything God intended from the very book of Genesis as far as man, mankind's role. I think he quotes Psalm 8 there um, and, and the role that man plays in creation. And Jesus fulfills all of that uh, by his life and his death for us and the, the coming kingdom that uh, we have not yet, of course, right. seen, which, right. is, which is we anticipate in the future. And so I guess, Charlie, here's a, here's a part of the perspective that, so as I look at our lives, all of us are trying to make sense. And this is a part of where the name true quest comes from. And this comes from, and this is where making sense of life comes from is we're trying to make sense of our life. How do I, how do I understand what's happening? Why things work the way they do? And, and I came to realize that each of our lives is a story the beginning and the end. It's got conflict and resolution and characters and highs and lows. And it's taking place in the large context of a larger story. And as we can understand that larger story, then we understand what, uh, what our life, how, to, how our life can fit into that larger story. And as we understand this and understand that God extends to us this opportunity to be a part and to share in not only being part of his family, but being a part of what it is that he's accomplishing and in the, to be able to, to partake of that glory is just unfathomable to me. Yeah. Oh, all by his grace. Um, well, the Bible, you know, Jesus is full of grace and truth, but, you know, we could say that of the Bible, the written word of God, he's the living word of God. Uh, and, and it just kind of puts a wrap on the story at the, at the end of the book of Revelation when he's in ruling and control of all things. And then he's still offering eternal life as living water uh, at the very end of the book. To me, that's just a, just a wonderful, amazing invitation. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't really understand grace and, and probably aren't living according to the kind of grace the Bible uh, talks about. And I, I just wonder if our, in our remaining time, if we could uh, talk a little bit about how God's grace, uh, as revealed in this story of the Bible, gives people a better perspective on their life and, and why they exist and what's their purpose in life. What do you, what do you say about that? What would you oh, say I- to these people? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and so a part of, I mean, if you go back uh, to the very beginning, what, when you look at what God created man for, he created us to be his representative. That was our identity, right? And And he created us to rule, and that's the significance, what difference we were supposed to make. And so we were to bring his order. It's not that we were supposed to rule according to our own ideas of what ought to be. We were to enforce his order and and to bring it about. And what Adam and Eve did in the garden, and then what's been passed on to us in our humanity is this determination to find those things independent of God, right? And so we're looking for it in um, all of the things we do. I mean, uh, you know, my son, Garrett, played football at Katy High School, and I really began to process some of this there and and discovered that... um, you know, I mean, Katie, for those of you that don't live in Texas, don't know, 
Katie, uh, high school football is a pretty big deal, and Katie is a is a is a dynasty uh, right now yeah. in Texas. It has been for the last uh, 15, 20 years, and uh, so he's got a state championship ring and all of those things. And what I realized is that that's one of those places. So who are we? We're Katie Tigers. Well, why are you significant, right? Well, you're significant because you've got, um, I think they're up to nine state championships now in the last 20 years. And and so um, 25 years, maybe. And so, but the problem with that is, is every year you got to do it again, right? Because you're last year's champions. And it doesn't matter whether it's that or whether it's work, right? And so that promotion, that deal. So we're looking for those things. But the problem is all of those things are very, short in duration and frustrating and empty. And then as you get older, you lose the capacity to do that. And, and then some, at some point, what happens is people begin to um, grow weary, right? And so you give into resignation. This is not going to matter. And um, it's, it's, it's just, I just got to gut it out and put in my time till I retire. Um, and, and, and what I find is that, no, 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 what God offers us is an opportunity to invest in things and so I think about this like if I'm standing, there was a, a guy in the Bible study that I'm a part of here on Friday mornings that uh, we moved, just moved over here a year ago, and he was battling prostate cancer. And uh, here, um, a couple months ago, he passed. Mm. And so he had the opportunity here to kind of know that his life, he was at the end of life. And if I'm at that place, what I know by my understanding of the story is that our investment in Katie football, uh-huh. it just as Katie football, it stays here. It doesn't go with me, right? Yeah. It has no eternal value. But now maybe there's some relationships I built, some impact that I had on people through Katie football do. And so it gives me that perspective to make choices that find a recover. So as we're talking about restored to the image bearer, we're recovering the identity that God gave for us to give meaning and significance to our life. What difference can I make? I can impact people in a way that they're going to have an eternal benefit from that. And then that allows me to enter into the fellowship with God, right? And and mm-hmm. so <clears throat> it is as we are a part of the battle and we are fighting there with him, we become a part of that circle through our shared experiences. I think this is why Paul in Philippians looks forward to sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Right, because he knows that it's in those sufferings that he has fellowship with Christ, and that will define their relationship uh, beyond uh, the temporal realm into the mm-hmm. eternal realm. That will always be a part, and so there's a level of fellowship that I think is available to us as we understand the story where it's going and how we can be a part of it. That gives us uh, an identity, and it's not so. It's it's, it's more than just reconciliation, right? But it's a restoration of all that is meaningful and rich and all of those things. And in some ways, you know, I notice it's kind of sad when you see, you know, oftentimes athletes, football players, boxers, they retire. And then you kind of get the feeling like they don't know what to do with their life because all right. their lives they've been known as the world champion or the, uh, the Super Bowl winner. And so they come back into the sport and before you know it, they're, they're too old and they really don't, don't know what to do with their life after that. Uh, right. I think the Bible has something planned for us beyond a career in, in boxing or football or business or whatever that we should be known by. Because like you say, uh, bodies fade, life fades, we get weaker, we get older. And uh, 
and we need something that outlasts us and that only that purpose is only found in god I, I was talking to a guy that had been a major league baseball pitcher and retired and he's trying to minister to guys and he's talking to a lot of guys that are exactly he said ex-military and ex-sport uh, uh sports athletes uh professional athletes they said i used to know how to measure my life and my success right in the military you had a mission yeah. And, and in sports, you had stats, right? Yeah. And you could measure how good you were by those things. But again, those have no eternal value. And so they're looking for something else to replace that with. And the only thing that you can replace it with is something that's eternal. And, and so that's what, the, that's what the understanding. So as I understand the story, then I understand why these things are important and how I can find all that God intended for life to be. And I think there's more life that's available to us in this, in, in this age than we recognize. But that doesn't even begin to touch what is beyond the grave. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. But t- tell us a little bit on a personal note how, uh, you know, you have a good understanding of grace throughout the Bible. How has that made a difference in your life and in uh, your ministry, um, your, how you feel about your life's purpose? I mean, what, what has grace done for you that others might appreciate? Well, I, and I think the first thing I would start with is just what I'm talking about. as. As I come to appreciate the impact that I can have and help other people understand where their life is, and then as I talk to people individually or in small groups um, to begin to learn how to live into that, it has added, um, and I I think it's not even quite that transactional. So as I'm being transformed, I take on the characteristics that define Jesus and that define the Father. And it is in those characteristics that God's glory, Jesus' glory resides. It's in those attributes, right? I, I, I remember to one of our hunting stories. Um, the first time we went to Colorado elk hunting, and we were looking for elk, and we'd kind of scattered out, and I'm uh, sitting under a, a tree out there, and the sun's coming up, and I look up I'm on this hogback ridge, and you see a line of elk strung out moving up it. I did. And on the back of it was a bull elk, mm-hmm. right? Now, he was a royal. He was six point, And I can still remember his silhouette there, right? And what is it that made him, uh, we might use the word majestic, right? It's his attributes, right? Yeah. His glory, his majesty resides in his attributes. And the same way, I don't think God's attribute, I mean, his, his glory is not a glory dust that gets sprinkled on his attributes. It is the sum total of his attributes, and Jesus is the same thing. And so as we begin to take on those, we begin to take on a weight, right? Uh, the, the, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and it means heavy or weighty, right? right? And so as I become who God created me to be, there is a weight that my life takes on that allows me to approach life in a different way. And that's been a huge, and, and, and so then now, now to get this back to the grace piece that has happened as I have come to understand the story, because it's not just about knowing information. This is God's story. And so as I know his story, I come to know him in a way and I get to participate with him and so there is this entering into this relationship with him that is um, it's not just about knowing information. It's about as I understand how he wants things done. And there have been times, I mean, you know, there have been times that doing what I thought he wanted me to do 
we ended up disbanding a church because it 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 was I, to do what God I thought called me to do. That's where it led, and it cost me. But through those kinds of experiences repeatedly over my life, as I've done that, God has allowed me to know more of the story, to discover that there are whole rooms here that I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, um, so one of the things I've been trying to capture here is the way that my life has progressed. And so early on, uh, I went to Hellfire and Brimstone churches growing up. And until I met you, actually, when I started seminary, that was a big transition point where I began to discover grace through your influence. Um, but uh, as I've been trying to capture that, I would say that my, um, my relationship with God was much more trans, uh, transactional. So mm-hmm. I had done things wrong mm-hmm. and deserved to go to hell. That's one transaction. God loved me and sent his son to die on the cross. And that's another transaction. And then I received that by faith, and, and now he pays the penalty for my sins, and now God's not going to send me to hell, right? And, and, I, and I, as I understood it, I still thought for the next 18 years that God was just waiting to nail my hide to the wall um, to, uh, for the first time I did wrong. So I still had that very limited uh-huh. transactional view. I do bad things, God gets me. And a lot, a lot of people living under that. <clears throat> Well, and I even find that I'm having to, I still retain a sense of severity of God in the background that I need to let go of. But what I've come to understand, Charlie, is uh, that that world and that life is so far in the background. And so if I want to summarize it real quick for your listeners, I've come to understand it as this amazing story. And the quickest way to summarize it is this, the dragon has captured the beauty hmm. and he's holding her captive. And she's enslaved. But the king loves the beauty and sends his son to rescue the beauty, slay the dragon, and take her home with him. Hmm. Where there's this huge wedding feast, and they're married, and she reigns over his kingdom with him with her with him forever and ever without end. Well, that's Almost an analogy, or we could call it an analogy, but it sure is a nice way of summarizing the Bible and God's grace through it all. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that's a beautiful picture that, uh, that you left us with there. And well, um, and here's, here's what I want to do in one last bit. So that's the nursery rhyme version. Yeah. Right? That's what you read to your kids. But this is Lord of the Rings trilogy detailed and complex, and it fits together with so much layers and richness. And to get to know God in that way. And to get to spend the time that I do is all an expression of the grace of God. Yeah. So identity in life is, is not based on who, what we're doing or no. our titles. It's based on uh, who God has created us to be. And that's where we have to find our identity and significance. Right. So, well, um, we appreciate the time that you spent with us, and uh, we know that you're active uh, in discipling men. Uh, tell us uh, real quickly about your ministry, where we can find it, and uh, and repeat for us again uh, your the name of your podcast so people can find that. All right. Well, so I live in Georgetown, Texas, and I'm always up for to get together face-to-face and have some discussions, um, and uh, so I'll even drive a little bit to do that. Uh, I, I have a website that's TrueQuest.com truequest.us 
And it's the U.S. is what you're going to have to get to make sure you get to the right place. There are some articles that I wrote several years ago, uh, more recently. The last two years, I've been working on this podcast, and so you can access it there. I'm also on the major platforms. The, the full name of the podcast is Making Sense of Life Through the Biblical Story. But you can, I know on Apple Podcasts, you can get it by just searching Garth, G-A-R-T-H, Oliver, um, and uh, access that there. And that's the main thing that I'm trying to do is to work through the story. And this is as much for my benefit as it is for the people listening. I'm getting to to process the story in a way that I haven't before and to watch things unfold. And so uh, those are the main ways. Uh, I've got a dedicated email uh, that's lo- that's tied to the podcast. Uh, it's Garth at TrueQuest.us. If you wanted to um, connect with me in, in a more personal way like that, and you're not in the area. Um, and so those are those are the main ways that uh, you can get a hold of me. Well, you can tell by listening to Garth that um, he's full of the Bible. It's almost <laughs> as if you touch him, it's going to spill out. And and that's what I get when I listen to his podcast so y'all tune in and find that garth thank you for your time and your friendship and also your participation in grace life ministries and all that you do for us uh in giving us your wisdom and guidance there and um we will be seeing you soon i happen to know we're going on a river trip pretty soon so we will uh, so we'll maybe write a story about that in one of my books someday there you, I love there you go. Stories about our adventures together. That elk hunt brought a lot of good memories to <laughs> to me. Um, so, so, Charlie, just just to kind of wrap all this up, our friendship is one of the expressions of God's grace in my life. So, I'm grateful for the years that I've gotten to know you, the adventures we've gotten to share, both ministry wise, uh, theological discussions, and and then hunting and fishing trips. Oh, well, amen. And I and I really came to know you through your father. Uh, yep. John O, we call him, and uh, John O. Oliver, and uh, he was nothing but grace towards me <laughs> when I was a young <laughs> pastor. He showed nothing but grace towards me and patience, yeah. and uh, treated me uh, like a father would treat his son. So I've always appreciated him, and still do, and uh, appreciate you. And uh, yeah. we will see you again. I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Grateful to be part of the journey, Charlie. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.